Good morning. Thank you, Lee, for that song. That was a song we used to sing like 25 years ago. And it, the memory of it just comes back to where we were then to where we are now in this, in this community of our church. Um, so I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 8. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Peggy. Well, good morning, everybody. Go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. There, we'll be staying there this morning. Now, Paul is writing this letter to the church uh, in Corinth. There's two letters in Scripture that uh, Paul uh, wrote to them, uh, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Uh, scholars think there were actually four total letters, but we only have the two. Paul had visited the church. He knew them personally. Uh, and about three years later, Corinth started writing Paul letters asking uh, for guidance. And we don't have those, so we don't see their side of the conversation, but we can kind of reverse engineer it from the letters that Paul uh, is writing. All the characteristics he's talking about here are concerns that he had about the Corinthian church. So this passage on love, though, it is perhaps one of the most widely used verses in all of scriptures, right? Ever been to a wedding? I mean, that's the wedding passage. And while it might be fine for a wedding because it is about love after all, as soon as we zoom out and look at the context in the chapters both before and after, we're going to see that it's a much different context in which Paul is talking about love here. So this church, I'll call them the Corinth Community Church. Very hip, right? CCC. They had very powerful spiritual gifts. Verses 1 to 3 tells us uh, that they could speak in tongues, that they had prophecy, and prophecy is just a New Testament, uh, it's good preaching essentially. They had knowledge, which means their doctrine was solid, uh, and they had a, a great faith. And to top it off, uh, they gave sacrificially, they were great givers. And it sounds like a great church there, uh, so sign me up for the welcome lunch, right? But then in verse 4 to 6, Paul drops the other sandal. There you go. He tells us of a darker side of the Corinthian church. Because in spite of these gifts, in spite of the great preaching uh, and high-level theology and faith, they were also known for their arrogance and their rudeness. Yeah. It was a my way or the highway attitude, and they were irritable and resentful uh, when they didn't get what they wanted. And they used a lot of pronouns like me and my and I in the way they communicated. 
Not a first-person pronouns. Now, why were they like this, though? They had such powerful spiritual gifts. And Paul sums it up nicely in verse 1 of our passage. They were not a loving church. And they were not loving Christians. Now, let's look at the bookends really quick to see the context for what Paul is writing. Uh, Chapter 12, right before our passage, tells us about spiritual gifts. And chapter 14 gives us specific instructions on how to use those gifts. And dropped right into the middle there is our passage in chapter 13. How those gifts will only work if they are done in an atmosphere of love. Spiritual gifts must be done in love or they're like somebody beating on gongs and cymbals gongs and cymbals, but I've never played drums before. So this morning we're going to look at three lessons of love, okay? What is love, a lack of love, and the look of love. So what is love, lack of love, and the look of love? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the worship, Lord, that we just sang about your love for us, Lord, and how incredible it is, Lord. I pray we would learn more about that agape love, that Christian love, that love that only God can give us, Lord, that we learn more about that, what it means to the gospel, uh, and that we get into our hearts today as we see, hear, uh, and understand what it is you would say to us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, what is love? As Or as Tina Turner once sang, what's love got to do with it? See, I'm learning from Pastor David, song references, okay? But from the 80s, okay? I'm still 20 years too late or 30 years too late. Now, Paul is saying here that spiritual gifts amount to nothing without love. So where does this love come from? Let's look at that first. Where does this kind of love come from? Paul will tell us in another letter to the Galatians in verse 5, 22. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. What's the first thing there? Love. Love is the first fruit. And we see this love only comes from the Holy Spirit. That's going to key us up on something else. Who can have this kind of love we're talking about today? God has it. Jesus has it, and if it only comes from the Holy Spirit, you only have this kind of love. You only have the ability to love in this way if you're a Christian. So it's a love that only exists between God and Christians, between Christians as we love one another, and we can love others in this way that aren't believers, but they can't love us back with this agape love. So where does it come from? Who can have this kind of love? Now, Lastly, what does this love empower us to do? Paul tells us in Romans 13 that this love fulfills the whole of the law. Because remember, how does Jesus sum up the law? He says, you're doing it when you love God with all your heart and your strength and your soul. And when you're loving your neighbor as much as you love yourself. So love empowers us to live a holy life. This kind of love allows us to be holy and to obey. Now, those are still some things about love, but I want to define it. And to do that, I'm going to go back to one of my favorite Puritans, a guy named Jonathan Edwards. He wrote a little book called Ethical Writings, and here's how he describes this godly love. He says, when God and men are loved with a truly Christian love, they are both loved for the same reason. When God is loved the right way, it is for his excellency. 
the beauty of his nature, the holiness of his nature. And when the saints are loved, they are loved for holiness sake too, since they are made in God's image. So let me parse that a little bit, okay? Love is a joy and affection that's toward an object, God or a person, okay? It's expressed simply for the sake of that object. There's no other motive. Joy and affection expressed towards an object, toward God or a person, just for the sake of God or that person. So we love God because he's holy, he's excellent, he's beautiful, because of who he is, what he's done, his attributes, his characteristics, just for who he is. And Christians, we are loved by God and one another, right? But we are also made in God's image, right? And you know what? We are loved for holiness too. But it's not our own holiness. It's only the holiness that is imputed upon us by Jesus Christ. So when God looks at you, Christian, he sees the holiness of Jesus. Now, I kind of gave it away. This love, the Greek word for it, is agape, right? You Bible scholars know that. And here are some more characteristics from our very text today. This verse 4 to 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. You know, most importantly, when you look at those verses there, one thing you don't notice is there's no other motives in that kind of love. There's no ulterior motives. All the negative characteristics are what make that kind of love about something else, about something for you. Paul names these characteristics, and that's when we make love about ourselves. So envy, arrogance, resentment, that's about us. When this love's supposed to be about the object itself alone, our joy and affection for that object. When you love someone like this, when you have an agape love, when you love God like this, when you love another person, you don't want anything from them. Nothing. There's no other motives. So you don't envy, so there's no inferiority complex when you're dealing with somebody. And there's no boasting. And you're not with this person because they make you feel good about yourself or they make you look good. And this love doesn't want to have its own way. So you're not in it for some outcome you already have planned out and you're using that person just to get the outcome. It makes no demands. It expects nothing from them, nothing. You just love them. It's a just because love, just because. My daughter, Maeve, used to have this little baby doll she would haul around as a toddler, and she named it the tiny baby. Now, the tiny baby was all filthy and dirty and beat up uh, from being dragged around, and his arm was coming out of its socket, and one of his eyes was hanging out, and she just take it everywhere. And eventually, she got an American Girl doll, right? All the way, the, the you know, ritualistic trip of mom and daughter to New York City to the American Girl <laughs> store. Only a Nova. And finally, I'm like, you know, she's still dragging this tiny baby around. And I go, Maeve, what in the world are you doing? Like, you have an American Girl doll. It's like so cool. It's so beautiful, right? Why do you love the tiny baby so much? And she looked up at me with her big saucer blue eyes like I was asking the dumbest question in the world. 
she still does that today, okay? But she looks up at me and she says, because I do. Why do you love the tiny baby? Because I do. That was it. There was no other motive. That is agape love, okay? She loved the tiny baby just because it was the tiny baby. You know, God looks down at you all broken and mangled and dirty with your arm hanging out of your socket and your eye kind of coming out. You've been dragged around Nova from swim practice to swim practice. And you're no American girl doll anymore, okay? But he loves you. He loves you just for being you. He loves you for your sake alone. He loves you just because. And that is the love we are to model as we exercise our gifts, okay? So what does this kind of love have to do with the gifts, though? How do we put them together? What does this agape love have to do with the gifts like prophecy and knowledge and faith and giving? Well, love is what makes them virtuous. That's what makes these gifts virtuous and not about an ulterior motive, about what something you want for yourself. One of his greatest sermons, Edwards calls, love with these gifts the sum of all virtue. Because without the love, this is clinging gong and symbols, right? You know you don't really mean it. Without love, Paul says in our very first verse, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And John Calvin wrote this, where love is wanting, the beauty of all virtue is mere tinsel, empty sound, and not worth a straw. That brings us to our second lesson, lack of love. There was this problem the Corinthians had because on the surface they were killing it. They were running three services on a Sunday, maybe even Saturday night. They had great preaching. They had great knowledge, great Bible classes. They had faith and charity and they had it all. They even had to build a new building. But we know from what Paul writes in verse 4 that the byproduct of the ministry was toxic. They had a toxic ministry. They had a toxic church. They didn't have love. So the Corinthians show us how you can do it. You can pull off the gifts without love and make it seem like it's the real deal. You know, one of the big mistakes we make, in, as a matter of fact, is that we often correlate our spiritual gifts to our spiritual maturity. Spiritual gifts are not a reflection of your moral character. They are not a reward for being good. Spiritual gifts are gifts. They're given to us for free. We did not earn them. Jesus Christ gave Judas the spiritual gifts of healing and prophecy. Judas was a great preacher. And he wound up hanging himself. You cannot connect spiritual gifts and spiritual maturity. I know you guys are sick of hearing me talk about cars, okay? I'll say this real quick. I've got a muscle car. You guys didn't know that, did you? It runs 525 horsepower at the crank, all right? But you know what it also has? A fuel economy gauge, all right? You don't need to tell me that I'm only getting 11 miles at a gallon, okay? That's not the point of the car, okay? Those two things have nothing in common. And in the same way, spiritual gifts are not a gauge that show your spiritual maturity. The danger is actually the opposite. When you are killing it with your gifts, when we are killing it with our spiritual gifts, that is when we are in the most danger of thinking that we are actually moral creatures. 
But if you ask anybody, we're really just being jerks. We're irritable, we're rude, like Paul talks about. He didn't pull those things out of the air. Those are the things that the Corinthians were doing. It's a me first attitude. So how do you know, okay, how do you know if you're doing something uh, in the agape love mode, okay? I'm going to give you a little test. Since agape love is love for the sake of God or the person alone, for its joint affection for the sake of the object, right? There's nothing in it for you. So do this. Here's the test. Look for your ulterior motive. Look for the ulterior motive. Ask yourself why you're doing what you're doing. And I want you to push through what your ego is telling you, okay? Because your ego is going to always be telling us that you're a great person and that we're selfless and that you're really killing it. You've got to push through that and ask yourself, what else is in my heart? You're going to have to dig. Is there an ulterior motive that is the real reason? It's probably even just a sliver. It's hiding out in a little box in the bottom of your heart with its claw sticking out of the top, okay? Sometimes you keep it in its box. Sometimes it busts out of the box. Is there an ulterior motive that is the real reason? Not the reason you tell yourself and not the reason you tell everybody else, okay? What is the motive? Because in every other type of love in the Bible, there's always something in it for me. There's always something in it for you, okay? Listen to these other types of love. I'll use the Greek and you'll recognize them, okay? Eros, love. Eros, erotic, right? We get sex, In phylos love, we get the mutual give and take of a friendship. We're getting something out of that, aren't we? In stergos love, we get the benefit of being somebody around somebody we like to be around. There's characteristics about them that we get something out of. Only in agape love is there nothing in it for us. And only Christians have agape. I want you to remember that. If you're married and you're not a Christian, the best you're going to be able to do is a mix of eros and stergos and phylos. And that's not bad, but it's not agape love. Here's an example of an ulterior motive, okay? I love preaching. God has given me an incredible love for his word. I can't wait to get back in the study and start preparing for the next one, okay? And I love you guys. I love God's people. I can't wait to tell you about scripture and how the gospel works into your salvation and your life every day. And that's a love just for the intrinsic value of the word. And who is the word? It's Jesus. But what if I have an ulterior motive, all right? What if there's a motive beneath the motive? What if I like the accolades? What if I have pride? What if I like the kudos? What if I I like the platform? So what's your ulterior motive and the gifts that you're exercising? We all have them. You know, maybe you serve at the homeless shelter and never miss a month. Maybe it's a new commandment. Maybe you've led a life group for years, okay? Or maybe you'll have your own community service that you do. Just make sure you're always running that internal test. Run that internal check on yourself. Are you doing it out of love for God and the people that you're serving? Or to get to something else for your ego or to get on God's good side so he'll give you what you really love, right? Sometimes we bargain with God. Oh, I'll go serve here. But because I serve there, you can bless me in this other area, God, right? So what do you really love in that? Are you doing it for the people you're serving and for God or because you made God your butler? So run the self-diagnostic. Use the passage even. Am I rude and irritable? 
Am I arrogant about my ministry? There's the word, my ministry. I've caught myself using it a couple times. When you put my in front of ministry, you, you short circuit the whole thing. It's a key flashing red light. Does it have to be your way? Are you at the point in your ministry where you just can't take it anymore? Okay? Because guess what? Love bears all things. Paul uses the example of knowledge. He says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. That's 1 Corinthians 8.1. If I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, but I have not love, I am nothing. That's 13.2. Paul anticipates that you could be a Bible professor and not have scripture affecting you at the heart level. How about envy? Envy destroys the ability to love because it's always about you. You're completely self-absorbed with envy. It's completely incompatible with love because envy makes everything about you. Because when you look at somebody else's success, it's like a knife in the heart. It makes you miserable when other people are successful. That's how you know you have envy. 1 Corinthians 13, 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. They would have known what that meant in Corinth because in that city there was a temple called the Temple of Demeter and they would bang on things like that to worship. Make sure we're not banging on the gongs of Northern Virginia. Okay, that brings us to our last lesson of this morning brought to you by the 1980s new wave band ABC. The look of love, that's right. Martin Fry with his gold sport coat prancing around on MTV. Paul says at the end of the, of the previous chapter in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, and I will show you a still more excellent way, love. Okay, so here is how we live it. The first time I encountered this passage about love, it really slayed me a little bit because it was me. It is me. It is all of us, okay? If we run the diagnostic, no matter how pure we think our intentions are, there's always going to be an aspect of our deeds that are unholy and sinful. And Paul gets that. In verse 9 he says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. We can't fully exercise any gift with pure love because there's still sin in us, isn't there? That's not going to go away until we meet the Lord. But we should be growing over time in agape love. There should be less and less of self as we mature spiritually. And don't despair, okay? Okay? It is all of us, because the good news is if you're a Christian, you're forgiven for that sin. You're forgiven for that ulterior motive. You're forgiven by the Lord of the universe, and God is not a zero-sum God, okay? He can take your good moments, your, your good uh, motivations, your good motives, and take whatever sliver, whatever crumb of agape is in there, and he can use it. He can even use the, the, the bad, Man meant it for, for bad, but God means it for good. How does he do that? How does God take my floppy arm and my eye hanging out and still love me despite all of this? Because he do. He did it through Jesus. Every motivation we have is rinsed through the blood of the cross. So every gift that's poisoned by your self-seeking if you're a Christian, it's rinsed by the blood of Jesus. John 3.16 reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have 
eternal life. The more you examine and dig out your loveless motivations, though, your self-seeking, the more you hand that over to God and you see that he forgives you even then on the millionth time and he gives you grace, your heart grows a little bit fuller toward God. You love him just for the sake of who he is more and more, a little more every time. But you've got to do the deep work in your heart. You've got to dig out those ulterior motives. If you never dig out the motives, if you never offer them up to God, you will not receive the grace and mercy that you need to grow. But if you'll do it each time, a little more able to love God, a little more able to adore Jesus, a little by little more pure love, thanks to the Holy Spirit, you just adore him for what he's done for you in your life. The more your heart swells for him, those self-seeking motivations go away. They get squeezed out and pushed out because he knows you, tiny baby. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. That's 1 Corinthians 13 too, right after our passage. He knows you fully, Christian. He knows you. He knows every motivation. He knows every nook and cranny of your heart. He knows where it's boxed up in the bottom of that jungle. And he still loves you. He still won't give you up. Now, Pastor Blake, you're telling me that I should do all these good deeds, all these gifts with absolutely no motivation whatsoever. There's a Bible scholar named Emmanuel Kant from the 1800s. He said, that's what his position was. He says, you have to do everything with no motivation, like Mr. Spock. I don't think Spock is that far back, but close, 1970s, right? That's not true either. He had it wrong. Because love is a joy or affection towards an object just for the sake of that object. So, so how do we love God and fulfill our primary motivation? Scripture tells us, he says, we love God by obeying God. That's our motivation. And what happens when we obey God in that obedience, just for the sake of obedience, is joy. We can be motivated by our own happiness and joy. Because that's what comes out of obeying God. You can have a primary motivation. Obedience. And out of that comes the joy. That's the only motivation that's acceptable. Psalm 1-2 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. That's how much David thought of obedience in the law. Psalm 40, uh, verse 8, I delight to do your will. I delight in it. Folks, try to do God's will. Try to obey and see, taste and see. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. Taste it and see. There's a difference between seeing a pot of honey on a table and taking a big spoon and, and don't tell Trace I do this, but we, have, we do have honey at home. I'll make my peanut butter, honey, and banana sandwich. Somebody's got to clean that spoon off, okay? But taste the honey. Taste the obedience. John Piper said, the better the person, the more the joy in obedience. If you want to gauge your growth as a Christian, how much joy do you take in obeying the one you love? As you mature in Christ, as you love him just for who he is and what he does, as you trust and obey, there you will find the joy more and more. The difference between uh, doing it to make ourselves look good and doing it for God is who gets the glory, okay? God's purpose is that we exercise the joy of using our gifts, but his purpose is also that he only gets the glory. 
We get the joy, God gets the glory. That's the motivation. You know, if you're not a Christian, if you're here, you're not a believer today, even the purest good you do will be rejected because you're not forgiven of your sin. If anything is done apart from God, it's ultimately self-centered. Maybe you're even trying to get right with God by doing all those things, okay? That's still self-centered because you're trying to save yourself. You can't self-love your way out of self. That's what you're trying to do. You can't love like this. You can't love an agape love until you've first been loved by somebody else like that, by Jesus. The first time you experience agape love from Jesus, he loves you just because he loves you. That's when your life changes. Jesus did the right thing for the right reason. He loved you just for the sake of you, because he do. He didn't care how he looked, all bloodied and beaten and hanging on that cross, about his reputational hit. He bore all things in the ultimate act of love. He withstood the arrogant boasters as they beat him, and he did it only for love, love for you. And when you see that, and when you get that for the first time, when you experience that agape for the first time that Jesus offers, it changes everything. Then you can love him back because he first loved you. Remember John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. It's only then we can actually really and truly do the right thing. That's the only time you'll ever be able to do the right thing for the right reason and not for your reason. Because now it doesn't matter who does it better or worse than you. It doesn't matter who sees you or who doesn't seize you or what they think of you or don't think of you. It doesn't matter what you think about yourself or don't think about yourself. We do it for Jesus because of the incredible grace he has shown us. And it's only then that we have the love that never ends. That's the end of our passage, the love that never ends. And we can be patient and kind and bear all things because Jesus bore them for us first. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for an incredible love, Lord. It spans the galaxy, Lord, yet we can barely comprehend it, Lord. Just give us a taste of that agape love, Lord. Let us recognize you, Lord, your character, your attributes. Let us fall so in love with you that we don't think of anything else. We can drop ourselves like a hot potato and just love and obey you, Heavenly Father. And let us experience the joy of that. Give us the courage to try it, Lord, and let us experience the joy in a way that changes us and wants it more and more. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.